But how many of you know we've been in this series called uh, Hosting the Holy Spirit? And when you host the Holy Spirit individually, you also get the, pre- the privilege of hosting the Holy Spirit in your nation. I mean, you know, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And when you honor the Lord and you honor His ways, you actually attract the blessing of God on your nation. So how about this? To the degree that we align ourselves in our first principles with the Word of God and the truth of God, that's the degree to which the heavens are open over America and God's blessing is poured out in incredible ways. Now, how many of you know that God's not a respecter of persons and so it doesn't matter what geographical or geopolitical entity you are, if you'll honor God and you'll honor His Word and you'll honor His commands, God's blessing will rest upon your nation. How many you know God's an equal opportunity blesser? The reason we have enjoyed exceptional blessing in America is not because we've been perfect, far from it. We're still an experiment in liberty. We're still working it out. But how many of you know our foundational ideas and seeds upon which this country was planted were seeds that came from the heart of God? We're going to talk about some of those even this morning. And so I'm putting things in context because, you know, we talked about guilt and shame this year. We talked about the host and the Holy Spirit. We did a series called uh, um, uh, Unalienable or Undefeated. About, about God's power in our culture today. Now, how many of you realize, first of all, let me just, I'm going to back up here. Um, in our culture today, we have to walk the thin line of loving broken people while hating wicked ideas. And I use the word hate on purpose because hate is a biblical term. God tells us to love what's good and hate what's evil. So not hating evil is a compromise. Not loving people is a compromise. It's an equally bad compromise. We need to love people. And I just want to share last week something that happened that was beautiful. In the midst of all this happening in our culture today, first of all, this was beautiful. I didn't even have to mention the words row. And you all automatically knew what I was talking about. In three services in a row, stood to your feet and celebrated the incredible victory that we just experienced as people of faith. Now, how many of you know that is a strong culture right there because it says we're all singing off the same sheet? And let me just say this, seeing a a federal court mandated decision that was highly unconstitutional, even by legal experts, a a created right for abortion out of thin air, uh, seeing that come down instantly led to the the saving of millions and millions of babies' lives when it first hit. That should be a cause of celebration, okay? I also want to highlight to you that this happened in an America with the most uh, pro-abortion administration in the history of this nation, and God used it as a chance to bring Roe v. Wade down. So um, that's, that's a miracle. That's a miracle. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We honor you, Lord. Nothing is impossible for you. Now listen, there were people that come from churches that have a pessimistic view of the future that never would have believed or anticipated or conceived that 
road would come down in their lifetimes if it would come down at all. But can I just tell you something? We are not of that sort. We are not of that cloth, all right? We're cut from a different cloth. We believe that nothing is impossible with God. We believe that we're here for such a time as this to bring reformation, to bring change. Darkness doesn't keep getting darker. It only happens when the church is asleep. But when the church is awake, stuff begins to happen. And can I just tell you, we saw in the last two or three weeks, not one mega ruling come crashing down, but we saw about four or five major issues on the issues of uh, school choice, on the issues of religious liberty, uh, a football coach kneeling at the 50-yard line when the game is over just to pray and thank the Lord. I mean, we're winning, we're winning, we're winning, we're winning. Hallelujah. And I want to encourage you, this is not a time for pessimism, and this is not a time to be asleep. And this is not a time for compromise. The overturn of Roe served to highlight, in my opinion, the horrific erosion of the sanctity of life in America. How many of you know for 49 years we've been repeating the same lie about the sanctity of life? 49 years. Lie, 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 lie. It's in our schools. It's in our media. It's in our government. It's everywhere. All the major mouthpieces of the enemy right now are being used to promote the lie. That life is not sacred uh, and that there's nothing special about a baby inside his mother's womb. We all know that's not true, but when you repeat a lie over and over and over again, people begin to believe the lie. Some of you saw the iconic photo, it's been everywhere, of a woman in her third trimester because uh, she has a very large abdomen and she, st she wrote, still not a baby yet. What kind of demented thinking would refuse to recognize when you're nine months pregnant that what's growing inside of you is precious human life? But that is the moral darkness that's over our nation. Now let me just share something with you. The way you attack darkness is with light and with beauty. What happened last week was we did a baby dedication and the altars were full of moms and dads and extended family and little babies that moms and dads were dedicating to the Lord. You didn't have to say, wow, that is a beautiful sight because any human being looking at that picture would realize there's something good and holy and right and beautiful about what's taking place. Now, please hear me on this. This is the moment in which we find ourselves today. I believe God wants to release his daddy's heart over 49 years of an abortion culture where many people have been damaged. Last week, without even talking about Roe, simply modeling family and babies and, and life, the number of people that came forward who were touched and grieved and who had the Holy Spirit talk to them about decisions and choices that were made years ago for many of them that they now regret and that they've had to live with for 30 or 40 years. All that stuff started coming to the surface. And they came forward because they're looking for freedom. Yeah. Now let me just say something. We love people. We love broken people. We love messed up people. We love twisted people. We love hurt people. We love people. Can I get an amen? Yeah. And... Uh, and I, and I want to encourage anyone in this room that's been touched by abortion, male or female, it's a time for healing. And it's a time to get set free so that your message, your mouth can be a, a voice of hope. 
for a culture that is so angry and so wounded and so hurt. So this is not, listen, it's not a time of anger against people. It's a time of embracing people. But I just want to tell you this. It is a time to have a hatred for wicked ideas that destroy people. And I'm also amazed at the foggy thinking of many believers who have listened to lies for 49 years and now they're sitting in churches. And let me tell you why it's foggy. We have 63 million babies that have been sacrificed on the altar of convenience. And you know your thinking is compromised when the first point you go to is, well, what about in situations of X, Y, and Z? Can I just tell you, if we took all the X, Ys, and Zs and combined them, it would be like less than 1% of 63 million. Can I tell you something else? The other side on this issue could care less about the X, Ys, and Zs. If they did, they would have stopped there, but they don't care about that. They care about this altar of sexual liberty and license, and they care about doing away with the products of their own choices. They don't care about life. We care about life. And we need to get a sense of shock and awe back in our spirits. It's called the fear of the Lord, where we go back and we uncover the foundational principles, the first principles upon which a, a culture of life is established. Can I tell you, when that wicked ruling came down in the spirit, I wish we could, could have seen what the Lord could see. But I believe there's a cloud ripped open, a veil ripped over America to where God is saying, I am waiting to visit you. I am waiting with my mercy. I am waiting to bring healing and restoration. I am waiting to come rushing back in with my spirit. If you'll turn to me and you'll get back to my foundational principles for creating a culture of life. All this happened is the battle's been moved from Washington to your backyard and my backyard. And now it's time for us to get in the gap and stand. And it's time for us to work toward a culture of life. Now, this this should shock all of you as Americans. Prior to the Roe reversal, the United States was one of only six nations in the entire world that supported legalized abortion on demand right up until the birth of the child. And listen, in some states like New York, after the birth of a child. Now, I just want to give you the the other nations that we're in cohorts with, all right? North Korea, communist China. I mean, we're talking about some of the the nations that trample religious liberties across the globe that are committing horrific, horrific crimes against humanity, that know nothing about human dignity, and America is in that group. This is barbarism. This is wickedness. This is evil. And I'm telling you, because every one of us will stand before God, not as an offended group. Let me just say that right away. The reason all this racial politics stuff and identity politics is wicked is because it it makes us all conglomerate in our sin. We're not a conglomeration of sin. You sin as an individual, and you're going to be held accountable before God as an individual. You're going to stand before God as an individual. That's why all that kind of thinking is not Christian in its nature. Listen. When does God judge wicked nations? He will not judge a nation on the great day. He has to judge them now. And I'm just telling you, you're going to see the divided states of America. You will see places where it's like Goshen, where the glory of the Lord 
is resting on states that honor God. Listen, they'll be blessed economically. They'll be blessed relationally. Everything that happens, I, I even believe weather patterns will be different over states that honor God. You'll see water on the crops. You'll see certain things happen. And then you're going to look at states that promote perversion and evil and wickedness, and you will watch literally the curse of God on that state. Geographically, you'll see it with your own eyes. It will be an opportunity. Listen, it will be an opportunity for America to repent. And I'm praying that we do. How do we get to such a barbaric place? And what do we do to restore a culture that celebrates life? G.K. Chesterton said this. He said, the man who thinks without proper first principles ends up going mad. He was referring to the life of Frederick Nietzsche. Frederick Nietzsche was the one who said, God is dead and we have killed him. He was the one that was popular during the 60s and 70s at our universities, may still be popular, because he is so blatantly anti-Christ in his philosophy and so honest in his conclusions about what happens when God is dead, um, that he's very popular among the anti-Christ crowd. But Nietzsche went insane at the end of his life. Nietzsche said he was Jesus Christ. Uh, he claimed to be Christ. He went insane by the end of his life. Because listen, if you get the first principles wrong and you begin thinking you're God, you will always end up in a very, very bad place. What is the value of life? And what difference does it make? How many of you know there's so many contentious social issues that we're facing right now? And they all hinge on the question of what it means to be human. We joked about this, but it's not really something that's funny. It's, it's funny only because it's so pathetic that only weeks ago, most of the, the anti-Christ crowd in America couldn't define a woman. And now we're fighting for a woman's reproductive right, but we can't define what a woman is. A birthing person's rights, something crazy like that. Let me also mention, though, we can no longer define what a man is either. And the reason we can't define what a man is or a woman is because we've lost our understanding of what human nature is because when you lose God, you lose us. I shared with you before, God's name is the I Am. And we can make no self-referential statement apart from the reality of God because it always begins with I am and then you tell what you are. So you can't say anything about you without giving God glory every time you speak. So we can't even make a reference to ourselves. We have no identity apart from God. And many people today are looking for identities, false identities, all kinds of confusion abounding because we've lost God. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to talk about the unchanging foundations of human dignity. The unchanging foundations of human dignity. And I want to give you three first principles. Everybody say first principles. First principles are like the cornerstones of your house. If you don't get the foundation right, the whole house comes down. What I'm telling you is if America doesn't return to these first principles regarding the sanctity of life, this growing culture of death will suffocate us and eventually kill us. The first unchanging foundation of human dignity is this. God is the author of life. It sounds so profound and so simple because it is. Say that with me. God is the author of life. What are the, what are the ramifications of that? Let's take a look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. It says, Christ is the invisible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him God created everything, in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created th through him and for him. He existed before anything else, 
and He holds creation together. How I many you know for Christians, all of life is sacred life. All of life is sacred life. This is a book I would encourage every single person in this room to read. It has a very compelling title. It's called The Book That Made Your World. Subtitle is How the Bible Created the Soul of Western Civilization. It's written by an author who's been referred to as the uh, C.S. Lewis of the East. He has a wonderful long Indian name that I will assuredly mess up. Vishal Mangawaldi. All right, don't ask me to spell that for you. Just look it up online, The Book That Made Your World. In this book, he shares a profound story as somebody who is an Indian growing up in the nation of India. And he says since 1976, he and his wife were visiting a community, uh, sharing the gospel with people, helping whatever needs that they had. And they came across a girl named Sheila. It was in the middle of this windowless, dingy room. An 18-month-old living skeleton was lying on a bare string cot Pus oozing from sores covering her body and head. Flies swarming over her because she could not raise her hand to chase them away. Her thighs were as thick as an adult's thumb. Sheila was so weak she could not even cry. She only sighed. Now when his wife came upon her, she welled up with tears. She was full of compassion. And she began to ask a question. She said, what's wrong with her? The mother said, well, she doesn't eat anything. Uh, she throws up whatever we give her. Why don't you take her to the hospital? Well, because we, we can't afford to see a doctor. We're too poor. Really? She said, I will personally pay for your daughter's treatment. They said, no, I have three other children. I have a husband to look after. I can't, make, I can't find the hospital. I can't get there. She said, ask your husband to come with you. Oh, he has no time. He has to look after the cattle, blah, blah, blah. Tell him I will personally pay to hire someone to look after his field so he can accompany you. Uh, she said, many of the hospital staff members are our friends. Lady kept resisting, kept resisting, kept resisting. What it turned out was that this child was not having a problem swallowing food. This child was being systematically starved to death. The reason she was being systematically starved to death is the following. Sheila's parents starved her to death because they saw her as a liability. They already had a daughter to babysit their sons and to clean and cook for the family. A second girl was un an unnecessary burden. They would have to feed her for 10 or 12 years. Then they would need to go into debt to find a dowry to marry her off. Her in-laws might torture her to extract more money from them. In those days, according to our national press, every year, every year in-laws were killing around 300 young brides in our nation's capital in efforts to extract more dowry money from the parents. Again, they looked at children as assets or liabilities, conveniences or burdens. We looked at them as human beings with intrinsic worth. We believe that God's command, you shall not murder, gave every human person a fundamental right to life. We did not expect to gain anything from Sheila. We believe that loving God required us to love her. Now, when I told you in that video is that we take for granted the culture in which we live. It's not a perfect culture, but to the degree that we align with kingdom principles, we actually bring heaven to earth and we're a reflection of what the kingdom of God's supposed to look like. How I many you know that is our mission as God's people? Now, if you're in that culture, you would not look upon the starving of one of your daughters as something exceptional or something evil or something wicked. It would be something very normal. 
wickedly normal, but normal. We're shocked by that. The question I'm asking you is, why are you shocked? Why are you shocked? You're shocked because you're growing up in a nation that was founded on the sanctity of life. And because it used to be taught and supported in our laws and it was taught in our schools and because we know it's like the air we breathe that you don't starve your daughter to death because she's a liability, that you care for her because she's precious and even if she's born with some type of physical liability or disability, you still love them. Even if she's born with Down syndrome, she's still made in the image and likeness of God. She demands our respect and demands dignity. This is the air that we breathe as Americans or we used to breathe. Ideas have consequences and wicked ideas have wicked consequences which is why you love people, but you hate ideas. And you hate ideas like this that lead to to people suffering and dying across the world. And you do something about it. Here's why you do something about it. Because you love Jesus. And because you've joined him on the mission. And because there's something to live for. But all that comes from the simple, basic truth that life is sacred because it is God-created. Listen to what Psalm 133 says. The Lord looks down from heaven, and he sees the whole human race. From his throne, he observes all who live on the earth. He made their hearts, so he understands everything that they do. Now, this is an astonishing verse. God is saying every human being on planet earth is known by him and accountable to him. Can I just pop some people's bubble here? I get so tired of Christians that are going, well, you know, everybody's not a Christian. You know, we got to respect the the beliefs of everybody else. I get it. That's called biblical understanding of tolerance. We don't shove anything down people's throat. We don't shoot people that don't believe in Christ. We believe in religious liberty. But can I just tell you something else? The reality of God does not hinge on the fact that somebody believes that he's really there. Like, Like God's not looking for your agreement with him to somehow demonstrate that he's real. God's real whether you and I acknowledge him or not. God is real whether we submit to him and let him be Lord or not. It doesn't change his identity. And can I just tell you something? Those of us who believe that should be preaching that left and right because that one thought, there is a God. He created me and he created you and I am accountable for my life before him. That one simple thought is a pillar and is a cornerstone of the sanctity of life. Because let me just tell you something. If you throw God out, you got nothing. And I'm on a roll now, so I'm just going to hit it. I'm so sick and tired of evolution. Evolution is from the pit of hell. It is God dishonoring. It has become moved from a theory to a theology. And it is insulting to the Lord. And we wonder why in the public setting we have young people, teenagers, acting like animals. Zero respect for the sanctity of life. Where did that come from? We teach them that in our public schools. There is no God. Therefore, there is no meaning. Therefore, there is no purpose. Therefore, there are no laws. Therefore, there's no morality. Therefore, you're a little God. Do what you want. Live your own narcissistic, self-centered life. Do whatever you want, whenever you want. And when they act like that, we're appalled. Why are we appalled? 
We train them to act like animals. We train them not to respect human dignity. And I don't know about you, but I, for one, am sick of it. I think that's the next thing that needs to go down, or at least one of many that needs to go down in America. <laughs> Ideas have consequences. We are creatures at the pinnacle of God's creative genius. And listen to me, we all share the same dignity and value regardless of gender, ethnicity, religion, or any social, economic, or political status. Did you just hear what I just said there? The gospel puts us all on equal playing field. Don't let people define you by the categories I just mentioned. You know what they don't define you by gender, ethnicity, religion, socioeconomic status, or political status. All of those things are leveled at the cross, and we all stand on even ground, greatly loved, greatly valued, because we're made in God and created by God and made in his image and likeness. That's the foundation for human worth and value. Here's what happens when you reject the creator. Life is no longer sacred. Now, can I just tell you, we're, we keep, we're not real smart as Americans, at least, at least those leading us are not very smart, because here's the situation. We're not seeing people kill other people because we have more access to guns than we've ever had. We're seeing people kill other people because life is cheaper than it's ever been. We don't value life. It's not a weapon problem. It is a heart problem. The reason we go after weapons is because it's somehow easier than going after the heart. But it's really not hard to go after the heart if you just repent and submit to the Lord. It's really not hard if you just have fathers stay married to your wife and raise your children and be a presence in the home. It's really not hard if we have healthy societies and cultures that put us together and put us into context with great relationships, which is what the church does. It's really not that hard. Now, that wasn't in my notes, but it needed to be said. When we reject God, we're accountable to no one, and then we begin to create human rights out of thin air. Now, every election cycle, this happens. Politicians create rights out of thin air. The problem with rights that have no grounding in God is that they're meaningless. They're like those cow stinkers that, are, that we're warning about are going to heat up the environment and cause us all to die, right? Most political, most political rights are like gas. <laughs> all right? Politicians don't create rights. Rights come from God. And let me just say something because we've got an election year coming up. God forbid that we would cast a vote for an ungodly person, an antichrist politician who doesn't honor God in any way, shape, or form in their life. People always say, like when I ran for office, oh, you type of people are dangerous. You, when you run for office, then you're dangerous because you're those religious people. No, let me tell you the truth. I'm not dangerous because I realize I'm not God. And I'm under authority. And I believe that my rights are actually safe, most safe and secure in God. But ungodly politicians who make up rights as they go, 
They're, you're contingent upon your rights, whether or not they stay in office. If they stay, in, if they leave the office, there went your rights. If someone else comes in, there goes your rights. Why would you put your confidence in an ungodly person who doesn't honor the Lord to represent your most basic fundamental rights? It's the height of stupidity. We do it every year. I'm telling you, if you're a diehard Republican and your leader is ungodly, why are you voting Republican? And if you're a diehard Democrat, because your family's always been Democrat, and you keep putting godless antichrist people in office, that promote wickedness what are you thinking what this is self-suicide this is national suicide we're we're watching it unfold before our eyes even as we speak you see if we reject our creator life's not sacred if life's not sacred it has no meaning in the absence of God and his revelation it makes no sense why am I here what's the purpose there is no purpose other than my own pleasure so here's what we do. We become little right makers. We become little idol factories, as Calvin said. We confer rights upon ourselves. We, we, we make up the right to de- redefine our own gender, irrespective of what our chromosomes tell us. We make up the right to take innocent life through abortion and euthanasia. We make up the right to end our own lives through suicide. The right to every form of perverted sexual expression. The right to redefine marriage, the right to pornography, the right to prostitution. And what's crazy is we dress up all of these rights in the garb of freedom and human dignity. In fact, the whole abortion, pro-abortion argument now is one of how dare you people take away our sacred right to reproduction or to our own bodies or whatever. In other words, every, every, this is what's mean. Everybody's trying to find the moral high ground, but without God, you don't even have any morals. You're standing on swampy water. There's no, no place to stand. I want to tell people when you reject God, you, you're acting like you're on this high moral ground and you're championing this moral or that moral. You don't believe in God. There is no truth. There are no rights. There's no basis for human dignity. What are you talking about? You're stealing my worldview to make your point. And it's time we tell them that. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs said this, I love this quote, when humans try to be more than human, they end up being less than human. Think about it. When humans try to play God, we actually end up being less than human, and that's when tyranny results and all kinds of innocent lives are lost because humans are trying to play God. Can I just tell you right now, the, the battle in America is, an, is a Christ or antichrist battle. It has political fault lines and all that kind of stuff, but, it, but at the heart of it, it is a battle for the soul of our nation and whether or not we believe that there is a God and he's the foundation of human dignity and the sanctity of life. Let me get you to the second point right here real quickly. I mentioned point number one, God's the author of life. Now, if you're missing a really good PowerPoint today, it's because it's a holiday weekend and, and frankly, I didn't have my notes done in time. All right, we all, we all forgive me. We all forgive me. All right, I'm, forgi- I'm forgiven. Thank God this is a Christian crowd. All right, you guys, you guys believe in forgiveness. Point number two, this is not only are we created by God, but the Bible says amazingly we're created in the image of God. This is incredible, Genesis 1.27. As this passage reveals, we believe God created us in his image, and because human life is imprinted with literally the stamp, the divine stamp of God, We believe every life is a sacred gift from the Creator. Every life is a sacred gift. Now listen, if I created something and you came in and destroyed it, 
would I have a reason to be angry with you? Because you're coming in and destroying what's mine, or what I created, what I worked on. When human beings get this idea that they have the power to destroy life, which belongs to God and bears his imprint, we're crossing over some major authority lines. And let me just tell you, we're crossing lines everywhere in America today with tragic, tragic results. We believe that since the value of human life flows from the image of God, that that also flows to us human dignity. Now, this is cool. This term, image of God, was a royal term that described humanity as the official representative and regent of God in the world. So when someone would say so-and-so is in the image of God, what they were saying is that person literally has the power and authority to act for the person that they're, the king that they're serving. When God put us on planet Earth he made, and he said, you're made in my image, he literally bestowed on us the ability to rule and reign and take dominion. That song we were singing about, we have the authority... All of our authority is delegated authority through Christ, but we have real authority. We've been put on planet Earth to rule and reign and steward this planet. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm kicking over some sacred cows. I'm going to keep kicking. <clears throat> All right, you ready for another one? All of this global warming nonsense. All right? Global warming nonsense. By the way, let's connect some more dots. It's why your gasoline prices are going out the roof. That's all intentional. And it's intentional because little people who reject God are in a savior complex. They're going to save the planet. Now, these are people that cannot even submit a budget. We haven't had a budget submitted in Washington, D.C. for about five or six years. We can't balance our budget. We can't even run basic things. Like basic government offices are in total chaos, but they're going to save Mother Earth from cow flatulence. <laughs> Let me tell you something. This is a smokescreen for control. It is an offense to God Almighty because what it suggests is the God who created the planet to be inhabited is somehow didn't do it right, and all you humans are going to screw it up. Now, Pastor, are you saying we shouldn't care about the earth? I'm saying we absolutely should care about the earth, but we shouldn't worship Mother Earth because she ain't your mama, and we shouldn't, we shouldn't celebrate Earth Day. We should celebrate Creator Day. I mean, we got a lot of things we need to rip back down, all right? But I'm telling you this. When you reject God, you reject the sanctity of life. And I'm, let me just, I'm, I'm on a roll. I got to kick some more things down. I'm a dog lover. I got two dogs. Wanted to kill one of them last night, but I, I still have two. They're alive. All right? If, if you took all the cute puppies and kitties and hamsters and gerbils and birdies and elephants and lions and tigers and bears, and you put, oh my, and you put them all together on one side of the scales of justice, and you had one human life on the other side, in God's eyes, that person is more valuable than all the animal life combined. So let me just tell you something. So what that means is when my neighbor's house is burning down and my neighbors hate me, and I have a choice to rescue my dog or my neighbor who hates me, it's not a hard decision. You rescue your neighbor who hates you because they're made in the image and likeness of God. Boy, do we have this thing messed up. Boy, do we have this thing messed up. In fact, if any of you are PETA supporters, stop it. 
the found, the found, here's why, the founder of PETA, a wonderful lady by the name of Ingrid Newkirk. This is her famous quote, a rat is a pig, is a dog, is a boy. In other words, the life of a rat is on the same level as the life of a human. There is no difference. Now let me just tell you something. This is logical thinking based on a godless atheistic view of life. This is why we will, this is why, listen, you are the cancer on Mother Earth. You and your neighbor, just tell them you're the cancer, Pastor Dick, cancer. We have to kill people to protect Mother Earth. Because you guys are the problem. Water buffalo are not hurting us. It's people. Uh, so we got to get rid of people. One of our Supreme Court justices, famous Supreme Court justice, made this comment. And this is why this, these kind of people should not be leading us ever. Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes. How many of you have heard of Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes? He said, I see no reason for attributing to man a significance different in kind from that which belongs to a baboon or a grain of sand. Now, when these people are making decisions that impact all of us, our Americans, how many know it really matters who we have making those decisions? And can I just connect another dot? Because I got more time. Second service, I got time. I mean, I got, I got time to burn, so I'm going for it. You, you understand why ideas matter, why elections matter, and why Supreme Court justices matter. Because right now, we're seeing a perfect argument for why we need to get involved in, in politics, not as our Savior, only Jesus is the Savior, but because government has the potential either to bless your life or to destroy your life. And we can't just ignore these things. The winds that we're seeing are because of ideas, and ideas have consequences. We have got to get involved. There was a woman in Europe a while back. You see this all the time, especially uh, folks that have lost the biblical worldview. She terminated, terminated her pregnancy because she was firmly committed to the belief that she was saving the planet. She went on to say that it's selfish to have children. Because children are big carbon footprints. Can I just tell you something? The green movement is an anti-life death movement. Because their goal is humans are cancer. And whatever opportunity they will get to work all their little balance system out. Let me just tell you something else. America is always the big evil consumer person, right? We're, we're the big polluter. Lie, 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 lie. Get out of America and go look at most of the world, and you'll come back and think this is the most pristine, clean place you've ever been in your life. We get lied to everywhere, but I'm telling you, it is an anti-God agenda. It's covered in love the planet. How many of you know you can find 30-year-old hysterical quotes from leftists that the earth is going to die next Tuesday if we don't do something, and guess what? Last time I checked, we're having a pretty nice weekend, are we not, all right? So all of this, though, is in an anti-God worldview that doesn't acknowledge him as the creator and doesn't view people created in the image and likeness of God. Now, let me share an amazing quote with you that I think highlights our worldview. This was from our brother here, the story with the young lady that they tried to save. This is what they said. Our neighbors did not understand Ruth, that's his wife, Ruth's compassionate impulse because, listen, 3,000 years of Hinduism 
a thousand years, or I'm sorry, 2,600 years of Buddhism, a thousand years of Islam, and a century of secularism had collectively failed to give them a convincing basis for recognizing and affirming the unique value of the human being. What sets us apart from all the rest of the world? Our belief in the scriptures. And out of our belief in the scriptures comes a whole view of humanity and human dignity that's nowhere else to be found on planet Earth. Why do we see horrific acts of violence, people cutting people's heads off, people raping, uh, pillaging, burning, torturing, all this going on in the gulags of communist China right now, all the ISIS evil that we saw, murdering children before the eyes of their parents, chopping their heads off. I mean, disgusting stuff. We're having organ harvesting from live people taking place in communist China right now. In North Korea, unspeakable acts. All throughout human history, we've, we've, we've seen this. We've shown that human beings are desperately in need of a Savior. Why is it that America has not been a place where that is nor, the norm or celebrated or perpetrated by our government? It's been because of our founding beliefs, because of our core values. because They've all come from the Scriptures. Let me give a final point here. Talked about being made in the image of God. Talked about seeing life as valuable because it's God-created. Let me end with this. How many you know Jesus' incarnation and redemption also affirm the value of human life? One thing that we share together with everyone on planet Earth is that we're all fallen and we need a Savior. How I many you know it doesn't matter what color skin you have, what country you come from, every one of us is in need of a Savior. What does God do? He takes on human flesh. How I many you know God was conceived in the womb? Of a virgin. How many of you know in the womb of that virgin at the point of conception, the Son of God took on human flesh? At the point of conception, this is not rocket science, at the point of conception, you have a life created by God. And let me just mention it created by God. We get to help, but created by God. That life, again, is sacred because of what we believe about that life or don't believe about that life. God values human life in that He became one of us. God values the pain and the hurt that people, unsaved people, perpetrate on one another so much so that he left glory and he came on planet earth and he shed his blood. And, he, he, and here's the other thing. He modeled for us in human flesh what compassion looks like and justice looks like and dignity looks like. In other words, he led the way. He loved people. He loved the lowest. He cared for people. He cared for the broken. He cared for the disadvantaged. He cared for the oppressed. He modeled for us. And so I'm connecting the dots. So why do a bunch of 20-year-olds spend thousands of dollars to get on a plane, David, and go to some strange place where you're walking through the rain and getting on a boat and going to some place that you've never been to before and fighting off mosquitoes and eating crazy food? Also, you could find this precious group of people. Wasn't it beautiful seeing all those kids in that picture? And the part that got me was when the church doors opened, they're all running in there. What a beautiful picture. Why do we do that kind of stuff? Why do we go to the nations of the world? Why do we go to the least of these? Why are Christians leading the way with, with crisis pregnancy centers to care for mamas? And why are we adopting children? And why, do we, why are we doing all these things? Because Jesus has changed us. And now we get to go release the love and compassion of the Father to other people. So if I got intense today, it's because ideas matter, but I want you to see this. What we release out there to a world is not anger. 
but it's compassion. It's truth. It's sacrificial love. And I've asked Andy to come and lead us today. I want you to stand on your feet. I can't think of a more fitting day and a better way to close out our service today than simply acknowledging that God's our creator, that our lives belong to him, that Jesus incarnate is our savior who came to redeem us back to the Father. And guess what? Now that we're redeemed, we're born again, we're full of the Word of God, full of the Holy Spirit, where we get to join Him on mission, which is the most awesome thing. So guess what, church? We have a culture of life to recreate. We have a culture of death to dismantle. We have a lot of work to be done, but you know what? We're going to have a lot of fun pursuing Jesus and going after it. So this song is an American classic. It's a, it's a song we sing this time of year. But it's more than a song. It is a prayer of intercession. And I want you to join me in praying this. Pray it from your heart. Let's pray for America today, and let's be a part of the solution and the revitalization of our great nation. Andy?